Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? All right, great. Good to be here. This third week of uh, Advent and the third week of our series, The Shadow of Bethlehem. And why we call the series that is that the events that happened over 2,000 years ago still have an impact on our lives today. The last uh, two weeks, we've been looking at the angelic visit to Mary and the angelic dream that Joseph had, which was telling them about God's plan of bringing a savior to earth and that he was going to do it through their lives. Through Mary, she was going to have the savior be born of her womb. And for Joseph, he was gonna be the earthly father of this child. And God came to them early on, right? And says, you're going to have a child. And nine months later, lo and behold, the time has come. See, Jesus is God's promise. Jesus is God's promise fulfilled. Jesus is God's promise to all of us of hope. But when a, when a baby comes, right, I, I, and, and I wonder, you know, because I know it was like different back then, right? But you have like, you, you have nine months to, to plan for a baby, right, normally. Uh, maybe some of you found out later. Uh, but you have some time to plan. And, and, na- and nowadays, we plan for babies, right? You, you, we plan for babies. You know, with our, with our first child, at least you plan for the first one. I say, <laughs> if I could make a scale of planning. Uh, the first one, right? We, we, we got the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And, and, um, and, you, have, and you have to have a, a birth plan. We have a, a, a girl in our young adults group who is pregnant and everyone feels like they need to inform her that she needs to have a birth plan. Uh, and, and, so, and so you write down, right? Because they're like, if you, if you don't plan, you know, who knows what could happen? You need, to, you need to have it written down. That way it happens the way that you want it to happen, right? And, and so, oh, some of you have had babies. Uh, and so, and so you have the bag right by the door, you know, with the, these are the things I need and this is what the baby's going to, going to wear when we leave the hospital, you know, because they take pictures. It's an event. It's an event. Uh, and, and my wife, you know, and she read somewhere, whatever the mother feels, the baby feels, right? And so, so if like, if you're nervous or, or if you're afraid about your, your, your pregnancy, you know, your baby's gonna come out like this, you know? And uh, <laughs> she, read, she read that somewhere. So, so like the whole pregnancy, right? We're trying to keep very calm, be very peaceful. And the plan, right, when we get to the hospital, you know, there's gonna be candles in the room, maybe a harpist in the corner, you know? <laughs> Aromatherapy is involved somehow, you know. The whole room smells like lavender tranquility. And it's just gonna be the most peaceful, just most enjoyable birth ever. And so, the time has come. Contractions, okay, we need to go to the hospital, you know. I'm like, okay, okay, where's the bag? We gotta get the bag, you know, where's the list? Make sure we have the list. Are there things I need to yell at the doctor? These are what we want. And, uh, and so we get there, you know, in the room, they're waiting for the contractions to happen and everything, and, and it's never going, like, on the schedule of Western medicine. They're like, come on, you know, baby, come on. And they're like, maybe you should walk the halls or something. So, like, I'm, you know, I'm walking the halls with my wife, you know. I don't know, hoping the baby will just fall out. I don't know what the... <laughs> but you're walking the halls, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm very involved because that's, that's what we do. That's what we do now. My father, when his first... Uh, a child was born, and this, you know, a different time, but he was eating donuts and watching Rocky in the waiting room. Uh, but, but nowadays, 
you're very involved. And so I'm in the room and, you know, doctor and nurse, I'm not really paying attention. Someone comes over there and is like, look, we got to get this ball rolling. They don't say it like that. They use like medical terms. Uh, but they're like, we're going we're to use drugs, basically. We're, we're going to give you some p- Pitocin because we need these contractions to start happening. So they give her Pitocin, right? And, uh, and already I could, like, this is not, we've gone off the rails already. This is no, like the baby is no longer organic, you know. It's not not free range anymore. Uh, so they give her the Pitocin, right? And, and Pitocin is supposed to like make you have contractions, like normal contractions, but that's not the way that it always works. And so with my wife, uh, she's getting a contraction and the contraction was, was holding. Um, and what happens is they're watching the, the baby monitor is the contraction is actually strangling the baby. They watch the heart rate drop. Um, all these medical profession, professionals are now in a panic and they're like, we got to go. And I'm like, where are we going? I thought we we're trying to have a baby. And, and so, you know, they rush her off and I'm putting it all together. Like we're going in for an emergency C-section. Um, this was not on the birth plan. And, and, and as I'm going, you know, and they're like, they're putting on scrubs on me. Like as I'm walking, you know, it's like, it's an emergency. Like we're doing this now. And I, and I walk into this room and there's my wife and, and they have this veil up so that, you know, I don't see what's actually going on on the other side. And I just see my wife's face and, and I, you know, I walk over to her and I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> I mean, I know like I have to be calm. I can't like, I have to be calm. So I'm looking at her and I'm just telling her like, it's going to be all right and I'm holding her hand, and I can feel like through the vibrations of her hand, like what's happening on the other side, and I'm just looking at her like, it's going to be all right. But in, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, this was not the plan. <laughs> and she's looking at me, and I know she's thinking the same thing. This was not the plan. And as we look at uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Luke begins to give us um, the details of the historical account of the birth of Jesus. And Luke was a great historian, and actually Luke wrote, Luke, obviously, and, uh, and he also wrote Acts, and so he gives us the most comprehensive, detailed historical account of we have of the life of Jesus, but also the early times of the church. And in verse one, he starts and says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And you're thinking, oh, great, yeah, that's great. That's what my pregnancy needed. This was, what the fir- this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so Luke is saying, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm about to tell you, and he addressed the book to Theophilus. This is the historical account of what happened. And this is the time that it happened, and this is the place that it happened. And he doesn't do that just because he loves details, but he does it because Jesus' birth is a fulfillment of God's promise. And not just to Mary and Joseph, but to all humanity and says this is the time that it happened and we know from details because obviously Herod's in the story that he died in 4 BC and we can kind of derive that Jesus was born around 6 BC and I know what you're thinking I thought BC (laughs) stood for before Christ and it was meant to and the guy who did that he was close Um, but we know that Jesus was born about about 6 BC And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him to him, and he was expecting a child. And I just can imagine, like, at this time, right, 70-mile trip to a different city when you're nine months pregnant, not on the birth plan. And I'm sure, and I'm sure Mary's, like, trying to think, like, didn't an angel come to me? Like, wasn't the words, I was highly favored, used? Like, I know, like, regular pregnancies, but, like, this is the birth, like, Shouldn't there, where's the red carpet, you know? Where's the trumpets? Shouldn't this be the easiest birth that ever happened? And I don't know about you guys. I mean, this is, this is talking about nowadays, right? If I told my wife when she was nine months pregnant that the hospital was 70 miles away and I had a car that went 60 miles an hour, she would say, no, that's not happening. That's not the plan, right? And imagine back then having to travel in that condition. A lot of people try to, you know, figure out, hey, how did they get there? You know, what was the mode of transportation? And um, through my research, I have discovered that Mary got to Bethlehem uncomfortably. That's how she got there. We don't know if she was on a donkey or if she was in a wooden cart or whatever, but that's, 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 not, that's not part of the plan. The thing about Jesus' birth, though, it wasn't just a, a fulfillment of a promise from nine months ago. It's a fulfillment of a promise from way earlier. It's not even really the fulfillment of just even one promise. There's over 300 prophecies in the Bible that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we read that, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I mean, Isaiah was written in like 760 BC. That's somewhat like someone from the Middle Ages predicting who's going to win the World Series. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, they don't even know what the World Series is. I'm exactly, that's the point. That's how crazy that is, that someone could make a prophecy come, through, come true that much earlier. And at Christmas time, a lot of times we look at these, these prophecies and we're like, well, you know, what's... I need some context here. I mean, that's just like one verse in a book that was written. You know, is that supposed to be about Jesus? What's actually going on? And this morning, I'm going to tell you. Um, when Isaiah wrote chapter 7, he was actually speaking to King Ahaz, who was king of Judah at the time. And what had happened is there were 12 tribes of Israel, but David's grandson, Rehoboam, messed that up. And so the kingdom was divided and the 10 northern kingdoms split from two southern kingdoms, Judah and Benjamin. They then became the kingdom of Judea and the 10 northern tribes became the kingdom of Israel. You thought your family was awkward at the holidays. Um, and what happened in this particular passage is the 10 northern tribes have decided that they are going to attack the two southern tribes or the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Israel is going to attack plunder, and probably kill all those in charge of the kingdom of Judah, and King Ahaz is top dog, and he's freaking out. And not only that, the kingdom of Israel has decided that they're going to align themselves with foreign kings because, you know, the more the merrier when it comes to attacking and raiding. And King Ahaz is thinking, this is not the plan. And God goes to Isaiah and says, look, I need, I, you need to go talk to King Ahaz. He's freaking out. Um, you're going to meet him in this particular place. And I, I, the first thing I want you to tell King Ahaz is this. Those things you're worried about, they're not going to happen. 
Like, I, I, like God's like, I don't even need to do anything about it. They're not even going to happen. Half of the things that we worry about, conservatively, right, are things that don't even ever happen. But we love to spend a lot of our time worrying about things, freaking out about things that aren't going to happen. Worried about border walls and bullet trains. And in the 60s, we built bomb shelters and then we stockpiled food for Y2K. And God's looking at us and going, it's, it's, not, it's not even going to happen. <laughs> like, you want to know, like, you, it's not going to happen. That's it. That's all I got to say about that. And he, he says, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. And then he says, right, we get to Isaiah chapter 7. He says, well, this is what Isaiah said to King Ahaz. He says, ask God for a sign. And King Ahaz, being the horrible person that he was, he was like, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. And I'm sure Isaiah was like frustrated. And he was like, well, he's going to give you a sign anyways. And, and then and there he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth of a son and call him Emmanuel. See, God's not just focused on our temporary problems or even our preconceived notions about things that haven't even materialized. He's saying, I'm working everything out. Here, check this out. I know you're worried about this, but I've got it all under control. I am planning salvation for humanity and not from your temporary discomfort, from your loss of a kingdom or your loss of material goods, but the fact that you have been separated from God because of sin and that you're condemned to death. I'm going to send you a savior. And it would be great, I, th I think personally, if the book of Isaiah stopped in chapter seven. Uh, I think that would be good. Have you ever had one of those friends, and people don't usually say this about God a lot of times, but have you guys ever had a friend like when you're like down and, they, and then like, they try to help you and then they keep talking and then you're like, yeah, you should have you stopped. <laughs> And, 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 so, and, and so God's that friend in the, in the book of Isaiah. Because he tells, he tells King Ahaz, look, you don't have to worry about those threats. Those are not real. And I'm going to send you a sign. You know, a Savior is coming. But also the Assyrians are coming, and that's going to be terrible. That's <laughs> what so he tells King Ahaz. You're freaking out about this. Let me tell you, you you're freaking about, about things that aren't going to happen. I actually know what's going to happen. And when the Assyrians come, they're going to decimate all your enemies. The reason your enemies aren't, can't even be bothered with you is because while they're focusing on trying to attack you, the Assyrians are going to come from behind and wipe them out. But it's not going to stop there. Then the Assyrians are going to come after you. And the floodwaters are going to get high. They're going to overtake your enemies and they're going to come up to your neck. But then he gives another prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. Starting in verse one, it's not up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. See, see God is working uh, something together, and, he, and he's giving us all the pieces to put this together, that we know that he is God, and that there is no other. 
And he's been doing it since the dawn of time. As I mentioned earlier, there's over 300 prophecies in the Bible fulfilled in the person of Jesus. 19 of those that we know about his birth, including his lineage, the exact place, and the exact time. We know from the prophecies that he would be of Abraham, that he would be of Isaac, that he would be from Jacob, also known as Israel, that he would be from the tribe of Judah that he would be from the house of Jesse, that he'd be from the family of David, that the verse that we just read says that he would be from Galilee. And a verse that we're going to read in a little bit says that he will be from Bethlehem. And I'm sure back then people were looking at all the clues and saying, somebody's wrong here. <laughs> how can he be from here? And how can he be from here? And then it happened and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, God knew what he was doing. And I doubted it. In Daniel... In the, in the ninth chapter of Daniel, which was written in 539 B.C., so about 500 years before Jesus was born, Daniel prophesies that the Messiah will come before the temple is destroyed. And people were asking, which temple, Daniel? And he says, the one that hasn't been built yet. See, God is working all things together. And no power of hell nor scheme of man will separate us from what God has planned on happening. In the fifth inning of game three at the World Series of 1932, with the score tied at four to four, Babe Ruth of the New York Yankees came to the plate against the Chicago Cups pitcher, Charlie Root. And I'm sure some of you guys know what I'm about to say and some of you don't, but most of you have had a candy bar, so. Babe Ruth was one of the most pro prolific hitters in all of baseball. Um, he stood up to the plate with the score tied in the third game of the World Series. And as a strike came across the plate, he raised up his hand and pointed to the center field wall to tell everybody that he was about to hit a home run. Second plate came, a pitch came across the plate, strike two. The bay points again at the center field wall. Strike three, I mean, a strike comes across the plate. And Babe Ruth hits it, and it's a home run. The newspapers reported, Babe called the shot. Everyone was amazed that this guy would have the audacity to predict what he was about to do. And the only problem is that that's not what happened. People that were there were saying that the babe was actually just taunting the pitcher. Uh, when, a, when a strike came across the, the plate, he was saying, that's one, but you know, I'm still standing here. And when he threw two, he was holding up two fingers saying that's two. And, and the video footage of the actual event do prove that after the two, second pitch, he is actually holding up two fingers. And a documentarian who was making a movie about the life of Babe Ruth actually decided to get Charlie Root and Babe Ruth back in a room together. And man, you can imagine that tension because Charlie Root didn't exactly like the fact that the only hit in baseball that ever been called was against him. And so he walks into the room and the first thing he says to the babe is, you know you didn't call that shot, right? And the babe says, I know, but it made a great story. <laughs> See, us as humans, like, we can't predict even things that we're talented and gifted in. Like, we have no idea what tomorrow will bring. But God called the shot. Dr. Peter Stoner at Pasadena City College 
was a chairman of mathematics and astronomy, and he wanted to try to figure out what was the mathematical probability that any one person could fulfill eight of the biblical prophecies about the Messiah that are in the Old Testament. And he took these eight, a messenger will prepare the way, which is talking about John the Baptist. The Messiah will enter Jerusalem on a donkey, which I'd love to see the odds on anyone riding into a city on a donkey. Uh, The Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It would be used to buy a potter's field, that he would remain silent during his accusal, that he would die by having his hands and feet pierced, and that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And he calculated that the probability is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Which I'm sure we all understand completely, right? That's, that's, that's 1 in 100 quadrillion. Which is the number, you know. Okay, if I had a silver dollar. And I marked a silver dollar. And then I covered the entire state of Texas in silver dollars, two feet deep. And then I took that marked silver dollar and I flung it in the middle. And you went to the state of Texas and picked one at random. The chances of that being the coin that was marked is one in a hundred quadrillion. And so I'm really just left with the fact, like, why did God do that? Like, did he just like, does God just like to brag, you know? He's like, eight ball, corner pocket, you know, underwater, carried by the donkey, boom. <laughs> and, and, and that's not, you know, God doesn't, doesn't need our approval. He did it because we're that dumb. <laughs> right? Because we're that doubtful. He did it to show to us that he is God and that there is no other that he is the beginning and he is the end, that he is the alpha and the omega and everything that he ordains will come to pass, come hell or high water because he is the savior and that he is the redeemer. The birth of Jesus was ordained by God and when God speaks, nothing can stop. Even though many tried, even though the devil himself opposed the baby, even though a maniacal king tried to assassinate the Savior, what God spoke happened. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we're just going to look at this last passage, which is the scripture, the prophecy about him being born in Bethlehem, which was written about 700 BC. He was alive the same time Isaiah was. And this particular prophecy is actually in response to Micah prophesying that the Israelites would be put into captivity in Babylon, into exile. And that's why it starts with a but. (laughs) Things are going to happen. Things are not going to be going according to your plan. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me One who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Which brings us back to the story that we're actually supposed to be reading. Luke chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. And placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
And that seems sweet and nice, right? Because we've associated it with Christmas. But that's crazy talk. <laughs> I just came 70 miles to a different town and I get here and everybody's like, oh, sorry, no, we don't even have a guest room for the pregnant lady. Um, but you can sleep in the garage, I guess, next to the Camaro, you know. There's a baby pan for your baby. I mean, an oil pan for your baby. I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, and I'm sure Mary's singing like, Highly, this is the, the highly favored. This was the plan. This is God's got everything in control. I'm in a manger, okay, next to like livestock. This is not the plan. But, but, the, but the, the truth of the matter, right, is that in the middle of chaos, God is in control. My kids, it's Christmas time. And, uh, and so they ask for Christmas presents. Shocking, right? And they make lists. And one of my kids, I won't throw him under the bus, asked for a video game system. And <laughs> look, we have video game systems, okay? We, we have one in the living room. You have one in your bedroom. You have one that you can take with you in the car when you're away from your other two video game systems. <laughs> Why do we need another video game system? And I'm thinking like this, I don't know, like Christmas is supposed to be about peace and joy. I've never seen a video game system bring any of my children any of that. <laughs> what it brings them is anger and frustration. And lots of blaming, right? Stupid game, stupid controller, the lighting. How to, somehow the sun gets in your eye when you're in a, in a living room, I don't know. It, it's nothing, it's, but this is what they asked for, and I was just thinking, like, we, this is like, this is not, this is not what we need. We're not wealthy by any means, but we have too much stuff. Like, we, we, need, we need peace, and not the kind of peace that's like nothing is going on, because crazy stuff's happening, I know, in your lives and all around us and in the country. And like, where do we get peace from? We get peace from the fact that we serve a God that prophesied the coming Messiah that tells us that all things are working out for our good and that he is sovereign over everything. And even though we're going to go through some light and momentary troubles, we are secure and redeemed. That's what brings us peace. I was supposed to have a bad day on Friday. Um, <laughs> that was the plan. Uh, I woke up to the sound of someone throwing up on my floor, uh, which I'm sorry if that disturbs you. Like if you have children, you feel, right? And if you don't, like someone did that for you, so get over it. Uh, and then, and, I, and so I, I'm like, okay, I, I, go out to, I go out to my car, and I'm like, okay. And, and I get to my car, and my car looks cleaner than normal. Uh, and someone had reorganized it for me. Now, I can't call it a break-in, because I had left the car unlocked. Um, but they went ahead and reorganized all my tools out of my car and into their possession. I'm like, I'm, I'm supposed to be, I'm, okay, I'm, okay, I got to go to work. Like, you know, it's like going to your job naked, right? Like you just show up, like, I'm here to work. And, and so, okay, I got to get things done, you know, and get home. And then Micah has, you know, his first violin uh, recital at night and then the child's sick. And so I'm driving home and I'm, I'm supposed to be having a bad day. But I'm listening to the radio and O Come, O Come, Emmanuel comes on and it gets to the chorus and it's just like, rejoice, rejoice. God has come to be with us. And like, I felt like kind of crazy because like I, I was like smiling, like I, had, like I had joy. 
And I wasn't supposed to. That wasn't the plan. If I was looking at just my situation, it was not supposed to be a joyful day. But I remembered what this is about and why I have joy. I know some of you, you know, you might be expecting disappointment this Christmas season. And, you know, gosh, man, getting old, man, it's kind of a bummer, right? Like we're not in our PJs, you know, we're waiting for our Red Ryder BB gun anymore. And you get older, and, and sometimes, to be honest, like you're looking at Christmas, and you're like, man, like there's going to be some people that I thought I would be spending every Christmas with, with that aren't going to be there. Like, I, you know, our situation right now, like, I, I, I don't know if I can, like, provide the kind of Christmas that people are expecting me to provide. I, um, man, I'd, like, I get together with the family, and, like, it's just, like, peace. Like, oh, it's just fighting and bickering, and everyone's got to give their opinion on my life, and... Uh, and I, I, I hope this season that, that you're surprised by joy, that it comes in the unexpected. When Jesus' disciples were, were walking with him, one of the many complaints that the Pharisees had about him is they're like, hey, Jesus, we got a few questions. Like, why do your disciples not fast like all the other rabbis' disciples fast? And Jesus said, because they are celebrating. It's not a time for a fast. It's a time for joy because a Savior has been born. And that's me. <laughs> God is with us. He has made his presence to dwell among us. And Christmas is a time for joy. Not a joy in celebration over material things or even a joy of celebration that you're getting together with long last family. It's the celebration of joy that a savior has been born and that you have been redeemed from your sins and that God has you in his hand for all eternity and not even the devil himself can tear you away. That's the joy that we celebrate at Christmas. The birth of Jesus was salvation. I almost forgot. So I'm holding my wife's hand. <laughs> and I'm looking at her and I'm like, it's, it's going to be okay. But in my mind, I'm thinking, this is not the plan. And there's a veil there so that what is happening is hidden from us for a time. And I'm thankful for it. In the middle of our worry, in the middle of our stress, and us thinking, like, where are we at right now? A baby's cry breaks the silence, and we look at each other, and at that moment, we're just happy. Like, everything we went through, like, fades away, right? Like, oh, there's our baby. And I didn't have a savior baby, like, I had a regular sinner baby, you know? <laughs> You can tell him I said that, you know. <laughs> There's not joy enough in our hearts in the world to celebrate the birth of a Savior born in adversity that fulfills the promise of God from the beginning of time that he would rescue us from our sin and that he made him a baby just to be in the face of evil. I'm gonna send him vulnerable and you can't touch him because I'm God and I'm protecting him and I am with him and you can't have him. He's here to redeem man. 
That's the joy of Christmas. That's what we celebrate. And that's what I hope you experience this holiday season. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. Ah, It's not enough. Like, I, we don't have words. We don't have words. We were helpless. We were condemned to death, Father. And you saved us out of the pit. You drew us up. You are our savior and you are our redeemer. You're the reason that we have joy. You are the reason that we have hope. You are the reason for our peace, God. And may we be reminded of that and may we not lose sight of it in spite of everything else that's going along around us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.